0: Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It's Thursday, June 29th, and you'll be hearing this next week, just after the 4th of July. Happy, uh, I don't know, fascist holiday to all who celebrate. (laughs) No, actually, it's anti-colonial, I guess, in its own way. Um, Today, it's just me, Tammy, and I'm here with um, a quadruple repeat guest, (laughs) Jenny Wong-Medina. Hello, Jenny.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Good, good to see you. Um, We've brought Jenny on for a fourth time today because she is our resident cultural critic of all things Korea, Korean American, Korean transnational. Um, Jenny, you just got back from
1: Korea, right? Yeah, a couple weeks ago.
0: So how was it? Where were you and what were you doing? Because you're always investigating something interesting.
1: (laughs) So um, I started off in Seoul and then was in Busan to check out the the remnants of the Busan Expo bid, um, it was very purple because <laughs> they had BTS perform BTS. there. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they had like these huge displays that said BTS X Busan. And um, I thought that was really funny that they were picking up on this collab kind of <laughs> um, graphic imagery. Um <laughs> It was great. Uh, I was there for FESTA. Um, So I got to see a lot of the soul infrastructure that was used for this BTS event. Um, I won't only talk about BTS today.
0: um, (laughs) Wait, we should back up for people who have no idea what we're talking about. So first on FESTA, that's like BTS birthday, right? Yes.
1: Um, So BTS birthday, every year they have (laughs) what's called a festa. Um, And usually it involves a free concert for the fans and a whole bunch of content that they push out um, over the course of a month. Uh, This year, since they were kind of all over the place and two of them are in the military, um, they had kind of like a a big citywide festival in the park, uh, in uh, Mm Yoido Han River Park. Um, They... Lit up a bunch of the Seoul landmarks purple. Um, There were like, yeah, um, many of the BTS army put up uh, like bus ads and like banners on the streets that had their favorite. Oh wow! um, Yeah, had their biases on it. Uh, And then there was a huge fireworks spectacle at at the river um, that the same night. Uh, I think only one of them showed up, but there were lots of people. Oh wow! Okay. Oh,
0: interesting.
1: The security was crazy because they didn't want another Itaewon. Um,
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But everything was purple down to the garbage bags that come from the gutong, from the oh my gosh, (laughs) yeah, from From the neighborhood thing. The neighborhood district. Wow. Okay, that's so right. Yeah. Oh. And And did you maybe? Yeah. Oh, sorry for explanation. Like each neighborhood district has different. Um, garbage bags that you have to use and they won't take the trash unless you have the right ones
0: (laughs) so yeah (laughs) the most intense like waste management program in the history of civilization yes
1: Yes. Um, and I was also in Gwangju for the Biennale yeah
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So you saw so much. Yeah, I was going to say for, for Busan, so the expo, Koreans are like obsessed with getting like international events in their cities and mm-hmm. the expo, this is like the expo that is the world expo, right? Like the Yeah.
1: Okay. Right. Yeah. But last year I went to the site of the Gyeongju bid for the world expo, which was in 2016 and that one failed. So it was much prettier. A crushing <laughs>
0: defeat. Okay. Yes. Um, a
1: crushing defeat. <laughs>
0: And why are you interested in expo bids and this sort of thing? Like, what does it say about the developmental state or whatever frame you're using?
1: <laughs> well, I'm mostly interested in how they're packaging the culture. Like, um, uh, as I think I've talked about over the past three episodes, four episodes now, um, I'm <laughs> very interested in how South Korea is making this bid to... Um, To make Korean culture known, but on South Korean terms. Um, And that goes into, you know, uh, everything from uh, the fine arts to like Pororo, the little cartoon penguin (laughs) uh, to, I don't know. Obviously, BTS and things like that. So what I was looking at with the expos was um, it's it's related to South Korea's relationship with UNESCO and how they're trying to create these world heritage or they're putting in applications for world heritage sites um, and are trying to coincide those efforts with um, with the expo bids, particularly in Gwangju. Um, okay. And there's a lot of stuff that they make that's kind of recreations of things that have been burnt down for like a thousand years uh, you were mentioning gotcha. this recently um, yeah but there's like another pagoda that's in uh gyeongju that was burnt down during the shila dynasty which is like the 10th century but that they have rebuilt and like turned the hole in the ground where it was into a world heritage site um wow. but they the graphics around that are much better so i'm kind of looking into the semiotics of culture
0: okay I'm curious about the, you mentioned like the, the penguin and like, I think there's a little bit of a mascot culture always with all of this stuff too. Like obviously for Olympics and big sporting events, but even for something like an expo bid or some random event, they're always like these little designy things and they're trying to sell like what the city means. So what, what does Pusan see itself as?
1: Pusan sees itself as um, a shipping hub. So one Mm -hmm. of the mascots was a very uncute um, shipping container, like a freight container. I kind of <laughs> um, want a stuffed version of it. I know, I should have gotten, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> find anywhere that was selling them anymore. I only saw them at the like, the Busan Expo bid museum that was in uh, wow. the city hell. Um, yeah, but the shipping container, Busan Amuk, like uh, Oden um Mm -hmm. that was like a little yeah fish cake sorry um and then what was another one they were all very strange things seagull right
0: you said seagull
1: yeah yeah Um, but they're trying to promote the city as like an international like industrial hub and they're doing all this work around like saying that it's environmentally friendly they're trying to build a new airport and this kind of floaty sitting floating Mm. city thing um there's been a lot of protest around that fascinating um and, uh, especially eco activism around it, because while Busan, Busan, is pitching it as this kind of ecological industry, something, something, um, it's questionable how, how true that yeah. is. Yeah. So. Interesting. A lot yeah. Of interesting it seems, I,
0: I got the feeling when I was there that they were kind of trying to have everything, you know, trying to do everything like both ways, because, um, it always has been like a really important shipping hub in the region, um, Yeah. um. And I think they have this – they're trying to kind of redo that entire port area and expand it as far as I understand. Um, So I went to see some of that because I was reporting on, like, longshore labor at the time. But – and, yeah, Uh. it's really – anyway, it's really interesting in Korea. Also, I think the longshore unions in the United States are known for being, like, quite left-wing, at least on the West Coast. And in Korea, apparently, they're quite conservative. So that was was, uh, interesting.
1: Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I always thought the labor unions were – liberal until it dealt with um, uh, migrant labor.
0: There's a couple of different <laughs> federations in Korea. Yeah. So
1: like the one that we mostly talk about, I think
0: is like the one that's like more connected to the democracy movement. And then there's the more traditional labor federation and the longshoremen are under that. Uh, uh, but okay. anyway, this is like, totally nerd out stuff. Um, but that's great. I love Busan. That's where I had my um, my uh, virgin surfing adventure. I, oh, that's like, right. Yeah, a wonderful place to hang out. <laughs> um, anyway, but we brought you here to talk about um, sort of along these lines, like movement of Korean culture, especially in the United States and in a few um, cultural products. And so Um, This is like more preparation than we normally do for a show, but Jenny, you and I (laughs) have spent many, many hours looking at three recent cultural productions that are Korean and or transnationally Korean and or Korean American. And so um, we can kind of go a little bit in order. So one of them, this is a little bit late now because it's been out for a long time, but is Beef, the Netflix Mm -hmm. show, which... Uh, We both consumed and have thoughts on. And then we also went last night to see past lives, the new a 24 movie starting Greta Lee. And, um, the third thing is a little bit more obscure, but it's a play that we saw in New York city, which is a remake of Romeo and Juliet, like sort of in, I don't know, very experimental contemporary, possibly Asian American question mark ways. Um, by uh, the playwright and dramaturge Han Chong who we've actually had on the show before because I had seen one of her plays that I really liked called Wolf Play about transnational adoption and rehoming. Ah. Um, anyway, so those are the three things for the audience. And it's not essential that you have seen any of these things and we'll try not to do too many spoilers. But basically the <laughs> point of our conversation is, first of all, to try to answer this question that Jay and I are always asking is like, why is there so much Korean stuff all of a sudden and like Korean American stuff? And is there too much of it? (laughs) Which is like every other day I'm like, there's a new Korean American TV show or this new Korean actress is like the hot new thing anyway. So it's like, I think there's too many of us now. Um, So that's one thing. And then, and then also just like as a cultural critic and scholar of this sort of movement, like what your observation is about, you know, these things that we've seen. And I would think, especially for beef and, Past Lives, like, how are they funded? You know, does it tell us anything interesting that Past Lives is, like, a joint production between A24 and CJ Entertainment, which is a Korean company, for instance? And also, Past Lives is, like, basically almost entirely in Korean. Mm -hmm. Beef has a ton of Korean in it, so... Anyway, so I have a bunch of questions for you, Jenny. First of all. <laughs>
1: Great. Also, there's <laughs> never enough K content because um, I need a job. So. That's true.
0: That's true. So to, to the Jenny Wang Medina employment
1: program depends on this. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Keep consuming Korean media.
0: Keep consuming Korean media. I know. Well, first of all, I mean, I think that's actually an interesting starting part, which is like, what is K content at this point? Because we can talk about K-pop. K literature, whatever, and you know Koreans are now using this term K content. But is something like beef K content? I mean, it's or is it an American thing that kind of doesn't have to, anything to do with Korea?
1: Um, well, I think that's a complicated question. I don't know that um, the creators of beef would call it K content, but um, I think Korea, South Korea, would certainly want to claim it. Um, there's there's kind mm-hmm. of a correlate with like Korean American writers who. Um historically say like in the early in the 90s, particularly in the 90s when like um ethnic minority literature was getting big and this was like having a moment in the states right in the 80s and 90s um many of the Korean authors said that it because they were claiming Koreanness or like an Asian identity, a lot of um, Korean literary scholars were saying that they were not Korean literature um In in the two thousands, as they're pushing towards globalizing Korean literature and doing um, uh, funding a lot of translations, um, they start claiming it, especially like. Tang Lee and Min Jin Lee, um, Susan Choi, these were all writers mm-hmm. who got invited to like writers festivals and things to speak on how they were also Korean literature. So it's kind of in the same way that um, I would say like the food culture is like that too. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay. Right, like the difference between ethnic food and um, and say like international high cuisine or something like that. Um, so now David, Chang is a big thing. <laughs> like, um, yeah. And there's a lot of money that gets poured into it, particularly since the 1990s. Um, so gotcha. the Yeah. So there's a, a lot more I can say about that, but I don't want yeah. like,
0: no, to. That's, that's so, yeah. No, that's like too. Yeah. No, but some, so something like Beef comes out, it's quite popular on Netflix. We can talk about the David Show part of it. Let's bracket that for a second. But like, yeah. um, and, you know, it is a show that, I mean speaking of Steve Yan that maybe like nutty is like basically a Korean American thing like t- I think it's the most Korean American thing I've ever seen in my entire life yeah, with for all sure. the like details and like incredible sort of like I just feel like the way it was set and written was just so specific and this like and very familiar anyway but um yeah. but then a Korean because I guess by virtue of its popularity like Koreans will now be like oh yeah that's ours too that is yeah. also K content <laughs> Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) okay I mean it's in the same way that um like k-pop stars many of them start out in are korean-american or (laughs) korean-american right right yeah yeah. and they get claimed um but you can get rejected as a korean-american in korea if you don't become korean enough fast enough
0: I see once you migrate okay (laughs) once you Um, (laughs) migrate so what did you think about beef you're you're a Californian although northern not southern
1: (laughs) That sounds like a slur.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm insulting
1: you. <laughs> I'm hella proud to be from NoCal. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was really... Sh- the the response I had to this was I turned to um, Matt, my husband, who is half white, half Mexican, and asked him, like, is this what you feel like when you watch TV? Like, is this what white people feel like when they watch TV? Because I feel <laughs> like too seen. (laughs) Um, It was deeply (laughs) uncomfortable for me. But particularly when talking to other Asian American friends, Korean American friends, like on the East coast and in Atlanta and stuff, um, that it was such a, it rang so true to me as a California Asian American. Um, and I think there's a real difference in, in the kind of Asian American identity that California just has, um, probably because the longer history, um, and the more kind of mixing that happens there maybe? Mm. yeah
0: yeah I, I i mean i'm from washington state and i feel like it was very familiar to me too but like when i was growing up i think we kind of like understood the korean american or asian american culture we were experiencing in the pacific northwest as like very connected to and kind of similar especially to northern california um but Yay. maybe also for this show it's all it's sort of like if you went to church at any point there there were yeah. there was like different pieces of it like were your parents entrepreneurs you would get like the motel piece or like you know, yeah. did you go to a crazy Korean American church and then you would get like the praise band piece. So there were all of these right. different ways to kind of plug in and feel seen in this uncomfortable way. I think. <laughs>
1: yeah. But also the subtext of there being nothing remarkable about it being totally yes. unremarkable that um, there are this many <laughs> Asian it's true. Americans the around and then stuff. Yeah. The enclaves, right? But then also that it like the nationality doesn't matter as much mm-hmm. um yeah so it's interesting um the mixiness of it all that it's totally unremarkable um we have mm-hmm. Ali Wong who is a mixed character and I think in real life right um but mixed Asian and and she's married to a Japanese guy and um then Steve Jobs or sorry, Steve, <laughs> Steve Young <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a crossword puzzle yesterday and it, it mentioned an apple Steve. <laughs> so, I love that. Um, so Steve <laughs> is in that mix, right? Um yeah, and so it it's I think it was particularly um affecting for me to see that um that that was represented in this way that, um, I've been trying to explain to friends on the East coast for years Mm. (laughs) that they didn't get until they saw that.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And what you mean by that is just the naturalness of it to the point where like, you're just like intuiting that you are Asian American. You kind of don't have to explain stuff.
1: Yeah. There's kind of a shorthand, a cultural shorthand that, um, uh, that is, coalesced around something that we can call Asian America. I know we've had a lot of discussions in the past couple of years about um, about the diversity of the Asian American population, um, but it does seem that those the way that it's been talked about nationally has to be parsed in a way that in California it is it is I feel like it is um, a discrete identity um, mm. that mm-hmm. you know that we all kind of have a shorthand for um mm-hmm. you know like you know that Koreans are at church on Sunday and that's just that's just known <laughs>
0: and so yeah. what do you think about the the sort of themes of the show like i would say you know there's a certain like asian american you know there are obviously like consistent tropes in like asian american you know visual and uh, production and literature, like whatever, you know, nostalgic stuff about the homeland or, you know, roots stuff or, um, you know, conflict with your parents or I don't know, I could go on, but here it seems like it's this, I don't know, like unprocessed rage is obviously like with the title and like the, the central conflict of the show. Um, yeah. How did you, how did that make you feel?
1: <sighs> I was very gratified that Steve Young never, described his rage as hun
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes we are an anti-hun show um (laughs) for people who don't know what that is it's like a concept that way too many people make hay of in i don't know western discourse that's about whatever the untranslatable like resentment and longing or whatever anyway okay so go
1: rage and (laughs) um, the (laughs) eternal (laughs) suffering of the korean people yeah exactly um yeah, I'm going to get hate for this, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> that's OK. OK, so uh, yeah. you were relieved
0: about I'm, that. So what, so what is his that. rage then? Is it an American rage? What is it?
1: I think that, too, is very Korean-American, right? Like it, the kind of small business thing, this is not something that's um, represented by every Korean in Korea, right? There's It tends <laughs> to be overrepresented in the U.S., Um I wouldn't even say that's a Korean thing because that's an immigrant thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Often. Uh, or like, a, yeah,
0: and a cl- working class thing, like, you know, yeah. to, to your point about the entrepreneurialism. I mean, what's interesting yeah. with Ali Wong's character, though, because um, they're very rich. I mean, yeah, she she yeah. keeps talking about and rehearsing to herself like her own sort of like, you know, lean in story about like making it. But, yeah. you know, it's a very different class position then, than Steve Young is occupying, right? but
1: she yeah, has the sure. rage too. She has the rage too. I, and I wonder, um, I wonder if it's has to do with her having to have that scrappy story, like the immigrant story, right. Um, and transplanting that to a place where that would be read more easily. Um, or that is kind of the narrative for an Asian American, um, in California, I guess like kind of everywhere, that's the model minority thing. But, mm-hmm. um, She's more angry about it. But she's also married to a very wealthy person, um, or someone who comes from yeah. uh privilege, right? And somebody who's privileged not only in his uh, in kind of the stature of his father or whatever, but as one of those fancy Asians, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um Artists. Uh, Yeah, artist, um, which is different, right? Than uh-huh. those of us who come from uh Working in the store, and then growing up, and going to college, and not being able to like make horrible sculpture.
0: <laughs> yeah, the first the first show that you were on with us was to talk about Korean wig stores. Yep, and you your family had one or has one. Has one, yeah, yeah. Um, so, did you relate to that part with Steve Young and his character and his brother, the, oh, shirt, totally. the shirtless hottie? <laughs>
1: Um, You're entering cougar territory. (laughs) 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 Um, Or nuna drama, Ajma drama. One can
0: dream.
1: Um, Yeah. Um, I mean, that does go to, I think, uh, Steve Young's characterization, like his rage because he is the oldest son and he has, he's been instilled with this idea of what the oldest son is supposed to do, which is kind of still, I mean, of course it's still there in Korea, but it's, um, the way it's pushed For especially our generation, like Gen X, um, Korean Americans, it's it was frozen in the 70s. Like we've talked about this before, right? Totally. Um, And my brother took over. My older brother took over um, the wig store, so now he's in a very similar position. Um, Hmm. Although my younger brother and I do do stuff, and we do not get involved with crypto. (laughs) So at least there's (laughs) that. Did Um, your older
0: brother have any reservations about? doing it, or was it always understood? Did he want to
1: do it? He didn't want to do it. He had, like, um, he was an IT guy before he took over the store, but at some point he he reached that, like, bamboo ceiling um, and knew oh, wow. that he wasn't going to, like, uh, get above middle management, and so he uh, decided that he would make more money, being his, and he wanted to be his own boss, so mm-hmm. um, he took over the store. Wow. Uh, and it's been interesting to watch that, the way um, he... Uh, the way he interacts with the customers, which is very different because he grew up in the store. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the kind of like, he's changed a lot of the hires and um, the place actually looks much more diverse now. And it's uh, with his employees. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So.
0: And did you guys like talk about, talk a little bit about like some of the little details in, in the show? Like for instance, I was thinking about, um, like there's like this scene with like the Boton rice candy like in Stevian's oh memory of like childhood <laughs> yes. I was like oh my god we love getting that from like Puhan market or whatever and then yeah. there was also um this kind of weird thing where David Cho is pointing out this picture of the the shooter that during the LA riots
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, like the, they're the all rooftop
0: Korean, the <laughs> rooftop Korean, right? So there's all yeah. this like I don't know what to call, even call it, but like Asian American ephemera, sort of like yeah. and like yeah. these kind of collective memories. And so, did you relate to any of those? And like, what do you think the movie or the show was trying to do with that stuff?
1: Um, Definitely the botan rice candy. Was, like, I saw that scene and was like, oh my God. I know. That was crazy. Right? Yeah. And then I wanted one, but I haven't seen those in a long time. I
0: know. I really don't think I've eaten it since, yeah, the early 90s or something. Right? Yeah. Um, uh,
1: some of those details. One of them was like the prayer picture, right? Like the mm-hmm. the old white man like pray, yeah. <laughs> praying over some bread and it's like, give us this bread our daily, whatever. Give, <laughs> like, us-, give us this meal, our daily bread. Is that what it is? Um, wow. I've been out of the church for so long.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say, I was thinking about the Apostles' Creed the other day in a camera. Anyway.
1: Um, I believe in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. but then, Oh, give yeah. us this day our daily bread. Thank and you. Forgive, yeah. forgive us our debts as we forgive those. That again. Anyway, yeah. go on, go on. Okay. <laughs> the so Those bread, kinds yeah.
1: of details. Um, whoever the set designer was did a great job with, yeah. you know, putting in those Things that would resonate, I think, with um, with you know a Korean American, Asian American audience, but also that just shows a different way of looking at domesticity, right? Um, mm-hmm. That maybe a general audience would not know to look for, or they, you know, it might not read even, but uh, that the household looks different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are different appliances on the counter, like not a Kitchen Aid, but a pop uh, like a rice right. cooker, right? Yeah, um, and you can tell now the difference in generations because we have cuckoos now, right? Instead of Zujirushi. <laughs> um, Except not I me. I
0: still have a Zujirushi, which, um, <gasps> yeah. Sang a song on, on the show a couple of weeks ago on accident. But, um, and then what did you Patience. think about the way, okay. So we, we don't have to spoil the whole thing, but like, basically there's this like road rage, you know, incident mm-hmm. that kind of is, um, not the entire conflict, but is like the germ of the conflict between Ali Wong and Steve Young. And then, but the show evolves and like goes very sort of weird and violent places, at, you know, eventually. Um, what do you think about, like, what genre is this show? And like when it starts getting kind of weird towards the end, like, how did you like that? Like, what do you think about this the show in terms of its, its sort of style and treatment?
1: Um. Well, I, I think it is in keeping with um, the revenge dramas in Korea. Um, oh, interesting. There, yeah. there's a lot of that kind of rage. And, like, mm-hmm. um, I think the interesting thing about this is I, I wouldn't say that it's like copying Korean revenge dramas, but um, there is a lot of similarity in the feeling that's coming out of uh. that and um, the, the lengths to which they will go to enact this revenge. Um, most of the oh, Korean ones are kind of like a long seated, like, um, multi sometimes multi-generational revenge um, or something you know childhood trauma sort of things mm-hmm. and this um this was interesting in that it was a present moment um uh, slight that led to kind of opening up to a a, a, a a like childhood trauma or a kind of a lifetime of I don't want to say microaggression, but I guess I have to, but in a lifetime of this kind of traumatic experience. Yeah. So um, yeah, that kind of presentness was interesting to me. Um, I know a very popular line from the show was uh, that um, American mental health doesn't work on Asians. Yeah, right. That was very popular. Like therapy,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And what, do you agree with that? <laughs> like,
0: I, you know, it's funny. I do feel like there's, I don't know what my assessment of that is. I was thinking like that line reminded me of the beginning of Kathy Park Hong's book, Minor Feelings, yeah. right? Because she has that whole interaction with her Korean American shrink. And um, a lot of Asian Americans I know do try to get Asian American shrinks. Right? Yeah. So I don't know what I that means. One. Like, does that mean that we buy into like what whatever Western therapeutic medicine, but we just like want our version of it? Uh, you know,
1: <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I think that there is something. I mean, I, my therapist is Asian American, and my previous one, the the previous one who. Um, was the only one I, that made me stick to therapy for more than like two sessions. Uh was also Asian American. <laughs> she was this awesome Chinese American woman from Hawaii who wore she was like 80 and wore black leather pants and I
0: oh loved my her. god. She was so great, incredible. Um, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like there I do feel more comfortable in talking about past things or talking about um uh about how I react to certain environmental conditions right? Um, that that I didn't find was understood by other therapists that I encountered. Um, Mm -hmm. So there is kind of a shorthand to the family structure, but I would say um, that almost my entire medical team now is either Asian or of immigrant parents. And I would like to shout out to every Asian or immigrant (laughs) child who did the right thing and went to medical school. (laughs) Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but this, We're now this like is... taking care of each other. That's like yes. the, the end goal. So yeah. Thank you for doing the right thing. So I could be a screw up. <laughs> um, so there yeah. was this
0: big controversy around David Cho, who plays the sort of deranged cousin character. And as far as I understand it, I didn't get into actually like listening to the podcast or like doing a ton of diving, but he essentially boasted about, what seems like committing sexual assault at a massage parlor back in the day. And that audio from a podcast like sort of went viral as beef had just come out. Right. Yeah. Um, I was curious what you thought about that. I I think some people were, were shocked enough that they ended up not even
1: watching the show. Yeah. Um, I didn't know about that until I I watched it really early on. So I, Mm I had already finished watching it by the time that news came out. Um, and then I didn't, I also didn't do a deep dive on it. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's like his character seems like the same kind of person that, uh, that he, he apparently is. So, um, I never had any, like, (laughs) yeah he plays himself (laughs) yeah basically yeah (laughs) yeah so I don't know like what's your read on that
0: yeah I was I mean it's he's obviously like always been a very problematic character I mean that's sort of his brand after this even after that um controversy um was being digested there was An article about him in the New Yorker that talked about basically this cult that he's running through his own Discord. Um, so, you know, he's like a very, there's a lot going on there. Um, I wasn't sure what to say about, you know, whether or not you should consume the the show on the basis of of what he did um it seems like i mean he says that he was just making it up and that he's like a fabulous and you know but even if that's true like it's really disgusting and anyway anyway um i think the one the only sort of definitive thing that i arrived at was i was sort of surprised that a show that was filled with so many people who generally are very very careful about their pr would like not have sort of in uh, seen that this was going to be a problem for them. Like I always think of Ellie Wong and Stevie on as people who have these very sort of like, um, I don't know, manicured public persona. So, um, that was a bit surprising to me. Um, well, we can continue thinking about it. Um, yeah. The, so I want to now move on to past lives, which is such a different kind of KKA content show and maybe is like more in the vein of something like Minari or The Farewell in terms of kind of processing like relationship to the homeland like nostalgic stuff Mm -hmm. Um, for people who haven't seen this this is a I don't know like a smaller art movie but is also sort of like very well funded um, that's about two childhood sweethearts in Korea and then the girl emigrates with her family and they lose touch um, and then they eventually reunite in person in New York, like two decades after. And mm-hmm. so they're kind of processing this, but she, um, well, I won't spoil it. There's like all of these complicated dynamics in terms of who they've become, who they're with, etc. cetera. Um, so did you
1: like this movie? Um, I, I felt again, deeply uncomfortable <laughs> watching this movie, but I think that was kind of the point. It was awkward to the extreme, um, and I think they did a very good job <laughs> with that tension because I was kind of like, um, I don't know, clenched the entire time. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was so awkward for you? Uh, their interactions. Um, mm-hmm. uh, while it was it felt natural to the way you might encounter somebody um, from your past, it it was just uh, um, yeah, it was made me very tense. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Um, Overall, like it was a nice film. It mm-hmm. was very atmospheric and it was pretty. Um, uh, I thought that the Korean parts were very good. Um, I the parts I, I set in Korea, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, they did pick up a lot of tropes from Korean film and especially drama totally yeah right the first love story um like meeting again and the love triangles and all that stuff um definitely rang true to that uh I guess one thing that I was curious about was um well the character the the main character um played by Greta Lee uh leaves because she uh, her family immigrates to um Canada, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um and then we find her in New York 10 year 10 years later. Um or 12 or 12 something. Years. Like that. Yeah. 12 years later. Okay. Yeah. Um but there's no mention of her Canadianness and so Yeah. um I was kind of like uh, wondering about how that whether or not this is um a deliberate move in order to kind of get at asian Americanness, ness um that in some Funny, ways kind of huh? denies like that there are other points in the korean diaspora yeah <laughs> um, yeah and even if it's still north america it's definitely different right um and then the actor who plays um oh i forgot his name Hyesung, right uh yeah the, the korean first yeah mm-hmm. he's isn't he from Germany or something? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he's German-Korean. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, so it was interesting on that level to think about um, how it, it pulls on Asian-American or Korean-American experience and Korean-Korean experience and the immigration, but then kind of cuts out all the other stuff that um, mm-hmm. I think would have made it a little bit richer <laughs> um, if they acknowledge this sort of thing. Uh, but I maybe think that's, that's not sexy. I know. Or it's I was not. going to
0: say, it's <laughs> yeah. like Canadian European erasure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think it's probably a market question. Yeah. For the, mm-hmm. for the, um, the film production companies. I did. I also found that really interesting because her family continues, her parents continue to live in Toronto. Um, yeah. but we only ever see her, her New York existence. So yeah, I thought that was, right. I thought that was really interesting. Um, We were joking around right after the film Jenny that this was also a movie about working out anxieties about being with white guys, um, (laughs) by the filmmaker. Because (laughs) the filmmaker, um, I mean, this movie is like about artists, an artist like dealing with like what she loses in not being with a Korean guy versus a white guy, and I think there's something in the the actual filmmaker's real life about this. But anyway, putting that aside, um, what did you think about the? So I guess this is a spoiler, but the awkward white guy character that Greta Lee is involved with when she reunites with the Korean guy
1: um, not my favorite character I, I know that some <laughs> people liked him <laughs> but,
0: um, He's a, uh, like a schlubby novelist basically yes. right
1: yeah um, but they do mention that it was green card marriage right?
0: yeah, that's true so uh, that's kind yeah. of yeah well, it was a yeah. love marriage but they sped it up,
1: right right. But that's, like, the only gesture towards the Canadian-ness. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, Yeah. Uh, They do seem to do a lot of, like, focusing on how good Greta Lee and... uh, I can't remember her character's name now. Oh, Nora. Nora Nora. and Hassan look together. They they make a very striking couple. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, just, I, didn't, I didn't love his character, um, but uh, served its purpose, I guess.
0: Yeah, I was thinking this movie feels more like a play to me. And um, That's right. I think the filmmaker is also a playwright. But yeah, it's just it's such a small, like set and sort yeah. of scope. And usually I like that. I thought I, I wasn't sure if it um, sort of worked all the way through or if there was like enough material at different points in the film. Um, I also was curious about, like, what it was trying to say about how you should feel about the past. Like, they have this sort of repetition that um, is maybe a little bit heavy-handed about fate and destiny and, like, Buddhist reincarnation. And maybe, like, you know, the couple that wasn't to be, like, was together in a past life and will be together in a future life or whatever. Um, How does this, in, in terms of, like, its projection of the relationship to the motherland also like compare in your view to, um, a film like the farewell or Minari, Minari or another
1: film like that, that kind of deals with this, this question. Um, well, there's a lot of talk about the term inyon, like fate, right. Mm-hmm. Um, which I had seen in the trailers when I first heard about this film and, Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. So and you were ready. I, <laughs> I was ready. <laughs> um, so, uh, you probably heard me laugh when it came out. Um, <laughs> um uh more like a guffaw i think <laughs> but
0: <laughs> this was um, its version of han i guess
1: yes yeah but it's one of these kind of reductions to something that is so korean um uh like han um like what's the other chong, like feeling mm-hmm. right um one of these very specific korean emotions um that i think are actually universal just have a yeah, word in korean yeah. right? <laughs> But you know Yon is also something that comes up so much in Korean drama, so I don't know if like totally. maybe we can put it in that context yeah. or put it in that little box um, i'm I can't wait to see what the next one is um,
0: I <laughs> <laughs> the next Korean concept that's untranslatable presume yeah, presumably, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I think it's gonna be median like uh, regret oh my gosh that's, <laughs> like, funny. Um, that's funny but <laughs> yeah so I
0: So that's what this reminded you of more like, I mean, you mentioned the childhood love, the first love thing that is obviously like in a lot of K-dramas. Were there other aspects of this that recalled K-dramas for you?
1: I mean, the whole thing, but it was just the the way that that it was, (laughs) the way that it was presented was a little different, but all the tropes were kind of the same, right? Yeah. Um, They Americanized it. So um, another question I kind of had about this was um, like... I had read something about it, um, I think from an executive at CJ saying that, um, they like making these global, they're now interested in making these global films, um, that have Korean elements. Um, and, yeah, and I was trying to figure out what that is, um, (laughs) in particular. So if I look at it as a narrative, then like, yes, the tropes are there from Korean dramas. Um. But that kind of goes to your point about it not having enough material. Maybe it should have been an episode of something. (laughs) Yeah, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, it felt like a capsule thing that you would see, you know. Um, That's interesting from the CJ executive. So I wonder if that means, so like, for example, in this movie, there is, I don't know, maybe... 10% 10% of the movie that takes place in Korea. So is that, you know, yeah. is it the pl- is it the sort of geographic placement you're talking about more thematic stuff? Um mm. yeah, I just wonder what it's going to be. Is it going to be product placement like they happen in <laughs> Korean dramas? Um, yeah,
1: there were not <laughs> enough montages with
0: um, Yeah, exactly. with like
1: one repeated song and, you know, the subway <laughs> ad. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, but you definitely I mean, I guess um you know, some of it is natural in terms of That is exactly what they would want to fund. It you know can serve like the way that movies have always served in terms of propaganda for certain kinds of places or lifestyles. Um, I I was thinking about in this in this movie like basically the takeaway of it if there's like a moral is like you end up where you need to be. um, You know even if that means being with like a schlubby white novelist like uh, (laughs) that you know that's just like who you are. What should have happened. Um, Whereas I feel like in me nutty and the farewell just to keep going back to those because they're sort of like in the same like genre i think um Mm -hmm. i think it's more ambiguous there about like this question of should we have come here was this the right thing to do like you know where's the place that you should be right
1: yeah i mean this also brings up the question like she's an artist or whatever right yeah she's she's a playwright i think um Mm -hmm. and he says that he's right like he's just a yeah. normal guy um, and so there is this kind of dimension to thinking about like what is possible in korea and what's possible if you leave right yes. um but kind of being a creative which is kind of funny because um there's so much k content now um and the creative content is like one of the biggest industries now um so that message is a little mixed right? I find
0: that's yeah i think that's so fascinating so um For people who haven't seen it, there's also at this this point in the film where um, what Jenny's referring to, where the guy says when he's visiting from her from Korea, um, Korea wasn't enough for your ambitions. Like Korea is too small for the ambitions you had. Right. And so, Yeah. yeah, there is this incredible irony of like, oh, but then why is the whole world consuming the cultural stuff made from this very small yeah. Half of peninsula, whatever.
1: yeah and to your earlier question about whether this is like a korean-american movie or like you asked that about beef um yeah uh and in this context particularly because it's a transnational production yeah. um, i was i was looking for what the korean elements were and then what the korean or what the asian-american elements were right hmm. um and the thing I got from that was thinking was kind of the realism. They, they don't go into these flights of fancy or it doesn't go like off the rails. Uh-huh. Um, and it has that like indie feel from like 90s indie films right? in American yeah. indie films. Right. So there's that kind of realism dimension that seems more American. Um, they, they do touch on the question of racialization and how um, she's perceived, like especially with the schlubby white husband. Right? Mm-hmm. Um and these are kind of the, the like, tentpole Asian-American um, right. issues, right, that come up in most of the media that is popularly consumed or that is readily consumed. Um, and I think that that can be a little bit dangerous. Um, maybe dangerous is too big of a word. But um, there there's a confusion in the racialization, right? Um, if we have these transnational productions, um they're big money makers and so they're very profitable but um how do we determine something like what Asian-Americanness is if it's constantly confused with what Koreanness is but that's not to oh, deny like you know current immigration because there's still a lot of immigration from Asia right yeah. um and it it develops a different kind of nuance like what we were talking about with beef and Asian-American culture there um so she's like huh, 1.5 generation right because she comes when she's 12 or 13. yeah yeah um, so I see this with my students a lot um, many of them hmm. you know they're they're much younger than me now um, right <laughs> um, yes. So they're of a totally different generation of second gen Asian Americans yeah, right. Um but some of the stuff still resonates very strongly and some stuff like a couple of students last semester were saying that they thought that their parents were involved in the student movement in in the eighties and nineties, which I was like, Whoa, but they still want you to be a doctor here? <laughs> <laughs> How has that not I changed? think even
0: more so, maybe. <laughs>
1: maybe, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Nice um Yeah, so it's interesting to see kind of what remains or what can still be an Asian American or Korean American identity, um, that sells, right? Or that, um, that, uh, is identifiable to a a kind of broader age group of Asian Americans, um, Mm -hmm. And there was that one scene, like, after she first hangs out with him in New York where she's talking to her husband and she keeps saying, like, he's so Korean. (laughs) Yeah. The husband is asking, like, what does that mean? She's like, he's just, like, so Korean. I know. Right. (laughs) um, I think this is something that most Korean Americans have said about other people.
0: (laughs) And that husband um, is getting more and more alienated, like what is
1: <laughs> yeah what, what do you mean, but um, yeah. I knew what she meant, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, um,
0: and she also says this thing like he's just so masculine or something, which is I mean, yeah, is kind of interesting, uh so do you and do you think like more movies are gonna be made like this? I mean, I'm not I, I guess i um it's funny my like my a friend had seen this some weeks ago, and said to me like it was so weird it was totally packed theater and like i was the only asian person in the entire theater and um and he was like his reaction was like why would why would white people want to see this food film um (laughs) which i thought was so funny but yeah i guess like is this what is it about a story like this that would make it so appealing because it is quite specific
1: yeah, it's timely, right? Yeah. Um, Asian content is hot right now, um, and you know, if we look at the business business end of things, like they're cashing in on a moment, right? Yeah, um, for sure. And they are doing uh, transnational content is nothing new for Korean um, production companies. They've been doing mm-hmm. it in Asia for a while, um, and there's big money in it, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time. um Hmm. Well, this is another instance of kind of of like South Korea owning like Asianness, sort of. Um CG mm-hmm. CJ Global is now gonna put out like um a Vietnamese film, I think, um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was getting a lot of praise. Um around the world uh and it's not about the war <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, interesting which, that's good yeah. <laughs> right yeah
0: <laughs> but um it's also so like it's a still shift. a korean company but they're they're going global and trying to put out more asian content not just asian content like mixy content okay. transnational
1: content right i see um, okay mm-hmm. so it used to be that they sold a lot of um like, platforms, like, stories um, as remakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Kevin Hart had um, signed on to produce um, a remake of Sunny, you know, the 2011 film oh. uh, that was, like, super popular. Um, and then another one, like, uh, Extreme Job or something, you know, the one with the um, detectives who... Have uh, like they use a fried chicken joint as their front, but then the chicken joint becomes like really popular. No, I don't. But that's hilarious. Oh, it's really funny. It's like an action comedy. Okay. <laughs> but, um, which maybe what? Well, yeah. Um, so they're 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 kind of pivoting from selling it for remakes, um, and I think that's very interesting because they're they're putting it out there that um, there can be um, Asian bodies in global films right or in like popular film that don't have to be translated um right bodily into (laughs) or like that that don't have to be localized in different in the local bodies or whatever there there is enough recognition of asian-american people that um they can have a film like that that Mm um you know uh i don't know if that was articulate at all
0: (laughs) Yeah. No. Can you say more about how um, Korean stuff sometimes stands for Asian stuff? Mm. Um, Well, I just thought that was interesting because like if you think about something like K-pop or K-dramas, like there's so many other Asian countries like in East, Southeast and South Asia that are you know, participating in these forums, Um, but you know, for various reasons, uh, obviously chief among them, like incredible amounts of like government investment, like the Korean ones have really flown. And
1: yeah, Yeah. sometimes
0: I feel like, I mean, I, I feel bad, like my own ignorance about those other countries productions, like they're sort of getting lost and, um, yeah. So is that, is that, I I felt like you were saying maybe that's shifting a little bit or something.
1: I do. Um, so if we look historically, like the the kind of high culture Asian stuff that we got in the U.S. or like in Europe was uh, that was valued was Japanese. Right. Mm-hmm, for <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. And that was the case for a long time, even when Korean content started becoming popular um, first in Asia, um, like the dramas became popular mostly because they were cheaper to rebroadcast in other countries. Uh-huh. So like South Korean broadcasting companies were undercutting the, their Japanese competitors. And so um, there was that kind of foothold at the same time that the, the government was pumping money into all sorts of different content, right? Um, mm. They like the Korean content agency, which is part of the ministry of culture, I think was established in 2009. Um, but, the the first, Kim Yong-tam, the first civilian democratically elected president of South Korea, was one of the first ones to say that he wanted to focus on culture. And then Kim Dae-jung, um, the next president after him, was also like very interested in funding culture. And right. while it was, I mean, that's part of the IMF stuff, but it's also, um, it's it's a strategy to, I think, and this is kind of like, The topic of my book, if I can plug that, and if it ever comes out, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that the push was not just economic, and that it wasn't just um, to get things popular. the The real push was to get recognized as an aesthetic culture, right? In the same way that that Japanese culture is recognized as having like this long history of, um, you know, native aesthetics that something is so Japanese, right? (laughs) And now we're getting to a point where something. It is kind of readable, at least in like big um, cities or in certain markets, that something is so Korean. Like we can talk about a certain kind of narrative that is so Korean. Right. Right, Um, In a way that you never, that you definitely couldn't in, you know, before the 2000s, right? Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, Japan kind of dropped the ball on that. Like, K-pop comes from J-pop, right? Right, exactly. Or like the term. Yeah, the term K-pop comes from J-pop. But Japan didn't invest very heavily in running with that J and Korea. Uh-huh. So, So yeah. um, hmm. there was briefly a moment where they wanted to call Korean literature, or like the K of it was going to be K-lit. <laughs> and uh-huh. I was like, please don't do
0: that. <laughs> that would not go over <laughs> that's hilarious yeah (laughs) I I think some of the there's been different turns in yeah K-lit as well about like oh we can then we can sell like different genres like K-horror and you know there's all this stuff that's continuing to come but yeah yeah, that's, that's interesting maybe in a few years we'll have like Films, that'll be he, he's so He's so Indonesian or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't really make sense because it's such a multicultural <laughs> um, country, but whatever. Um, yeah. Jenny, did you also see this thing where um, because of the writer strike happening right now in the United States, and I think actually one of the, the showrunner for Pachinko also talked about this, but that they are going to be moving more production to Korea and that Netflix is going to basically try to break the strike by using more Korean content.
1: Yeah. Um, so, like, the news about that was uh, at first was um, very excited that they were going to be putting more Korean content out on um, <laughs> in a on a global platform. How dare but, you, um, Jenny? Yeah, (laughs) it was all me. (laughs) It's like Mama needs to get her bed. (laughs) Anti labor, I know. What the hell? Anyway, (laughs) but um, and I'm so pissed that I didn't actually see this because I was in Korea when this happened. It was like Hmm. June 14th or something. The Korean Writers Guild or the equivalent and Mm -hmm. the webtoon writers, like a a lot of the um, they're they're called like pangsoon now um, or mm. so like uh community or like broadcast writers also went on strike they like um, announced that they were going on strike um in front of Netflix headquarters korea um in solidarity Amazing. with um the writers guild of america and apparently this is like happening in lots of different countries too Mm. so what's going to happen with that content i don't know but in korea like this issue of um of the writers and particularly well i guess i should say content producers um, has a, a long history of um of contention and being termed as dodongja like workers instead of freelancers right there's uh-huh. been this um this real tension over that especially since in 2011 i think there was um there was like a scenario writer um and like filmmaker who died of starvation wow. um yeah and uh she was found dead and she had a note in her hand that she was going to put oh, on gosh. the neighbor's door like it had tape on it or something and it asked her either landlord or neighbor if she had any like leftover rice or kimchi because she hadn't eaten in like three days or something like that. Um, and there were a a few high profile, um, instances of, of creative people who died under like too young, I guess, um, in their thirties or forties. Um, so they created, yeah. So the South Korean government created, um, an agency that was for like creative, um, creative artists, um, welfare organization or something um like how yeah so they've been talking about this for a long time and now like webtoon writers are getting in there too but there is this question of um like creative uh people who work in creative industries um are they laborers are they or are is this a white collar job? I mean, this is happening here too. I just thought it would be like catnip for you. <laughs> no, I think that's great.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think in the yeah. context of the writer is skilled strike, um, you know, hopefully these sorts of expressions of solidarity and mutual understanding about the job market will um, be really effective because that, you know, there, this is also like an animation, like in the seventies and eighties, basically like the yeah. sec, you know, the second and third parts of like, the animation on TV shows was basically entirely shipped to Asia and Europe Mm -hmm. and, um, and Korea was one of the main vendors and continues to be. And so this history of sort of breaking different parts of the entertainment trades here with this foreign labor is like a tradition. And so if there can be this, um, Especially with like so much K content coming into Netflix and these other streaming platforms, there can be this expression of solidarity and cooperation in the strike. Like that would be so great. Um, yeah. I think it's so dastardly that you know they're already turning to these foreign markets to try to get things produced, and also that certain yeah. showrunners and producers are basically taking part in it. You know, so yeah. um, anyway, but uh, that would be the worst kind of K content sourcing <laughs> to, <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> to kill
1: the strike. I mean, the, the writers in Korea, like, there's a very small handful of drama writers who make a lot of money. Sure, maybe like five to ten of them, yeah. right? And everybody else is kind of a freelancer, and no, they're also so concerned about like AI generated work. Yes, um, but the other piece of this is that Korea, um, South Korean, like, uh, copyright law wasn't was kind of hazy until um, until the 2000s when they uh, huh. mm-hmm. they put in different laws and then they they started um, a copyright association. So it was like, it was very messy Um, (laughs) and it still remains messy. Like who owns the content and who has the copyright? Like um, Hmm. a lot of the writers are getting this taken away from them or like, especially there's this question about like new um, creative content producers uh, that sign, Uh sign away their rights, right. In order to get exposure. Um, And they're just being like, they're really being um, exploited for for this work. Wow. Yeah. So it's not so great there either. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. And I I think yeah. um on average like the pay for creative production is like not at all comparable to like what writers would make here on union contracts. So we should right. definitely yeah. And even point actors, that right? right? Right. Right. Exactly. Right. I w- was curious about um like what you think about. Greta Lee's Korean so she people <laughs> mo- will probably mostly know her from the series Russian Doll with Natasha mm-hmm. Um I thought Greta Lee was really great in that but you know it's a, it's a fairly smallish supporting role
1: um, yeah.
0: and here I think this is her first lead in a feature she's speaking mm-hmm. almost entirely in Korean the whole time
1: yeah, um she has a very guiltpoor accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually when I first get to Korea if I'm visiting, um I have that accent very strongly and it takes me a little while to like for my brain to switch into <laughs> like trying to or I guess sounding more natural in Korea. Yeah. Um I, I've been told before that I I could pass as <laughs> as domestic, but
0: uh-huh. um
1: but Which that's after I've kind been of there remarkable. for some time. Yeah, interesting. Is it? I don't know. Well,
0: like, yeah, because I, you, I mean, you grew up here and
1: yeah, anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I what... feel like if she was trying to sound like somebody who had left in at age 12 or 13, it was kind of, it was spot on. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, and that kind of, I mean, this is something that I always talk about in terms of now being somebody who works in the field of Korean stuff, um, that it was really hard for me to learn how to talk as an adult (laughs) Mm -hmm. in Korean, right? Because she says in the film that she only talks to her mother in Korean, her mother and this quasi-love, semi-love interest or first love, Um, and so her Korean is a little stilted, right? Totally. She doesn't use much Konglish, though, which surprised
0: me <laughs> yeah actually yeah i, I thought that it was, it was a kind of nice depiction because it is this yeah um maybe maybe like in burning i guess like the Yit- the yi movie where steve yeah. yun's character is kind of doing this really creepy also like unplaceable um yeah you know, diasporic accent, but here, yeah, something very familiar. And I'm sure I sound much worse than that. I don't I'm not sure actually how I sound. I probably like you sound different in different places in different times. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought that, I thought it was, that part was quite well done and there's some cute scenes like I, when they're having video correspondence on Skype and then she's trying to email him, she's like teaching herself the Korean keyboard over yeah. <laughs> on the QWERTY keyboard. So I thought yeah. stuff like that felt very like sweet and, yeah. And, re- and true to life. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I wondered about that with Steve Young's accent in Beef, right? Because, it, um, mm. his Korean got so much better, like, by the time he was in Burning. Um, but then, like, <laughs> the, his inability or, like, his kind of, uh, lack of proficiency in Korean is, um, is a, like, a, a joke point in, or it's kind of a plot point in Okja, right? In Bong Joon-ho's Okja. And there's that, mm-hmm. well, famous among translator, <laughs> Translators, the like, line. It's a very
0: small part, but anyway, yeah, yeah. go on.
1: Sorry. <laughs> As a translator, and all everyone I know who's a translator that's was hilarious. like, "Oh my god," because he tattoos on his arm. Like, don't mistranslate. Oh, that's
0: funny. I heard um, about that. Okay. Yeah,
1: but then I wondered about that kind of level. Like, how is was he kind of slipping back into something that was from his youth, or like, is is that like an actor skill that he's? I know. Um, yeah. Learn I would assume to... these people
0: are all getting dialect coaching. Um, uh, yeah, because it's probably. just so real. Yeah, it's like yeah. Listening to it's sort of like yeah, second gen accents. And stuff.
1: Yeah, but um, to you? His accent was flawless, <laughs> and yeah, he's also his, from the right. diaspora. So.
0: I think he. Yeah, I'm. Car- I don't know how much time he spent in Germany, but he. Yeah, to me, he mm. sounded just very Korean to me.
1: Yeah, so. like Korean dude, <laughs> Korean, Korean,
0: yeah. So um, <laughs> well i thought like maybe in, in closing we could talk a little bit about this play that we saw so I, it's like a little weird to talk on a podcast about a play that is like only in new york city and that not that many people will, will be able to see who listen to the podcast but <laughs> everyone knows the story of romeo and juliet and han jung's production with an asian american theater group um i thought was kind of interesting because it's like is there anything Asian about it? I mean, it's, it's basically like an experimental staging of Romeo and Juliet with like lots of comedic stuff and um, some rewriting of the Shakespearean um, script. But yeah, what did you what did you think about it? And did you feel like this is an Asian American thing? And what should an Asian American thing be when it's treating a subject like Shakespeare?
1: Yeah, um so I w- I of of course I was looking for what I thought was Asian about this besides <laughs> the actors the right, actors, right which um, we should say are 100% Asian yeah Asian American yeah um Asian American right but um the thing that really struck me was the kind of physicality between the male characters um mm-hmm. there's that kind of sexual play but there's this kind of male Asian male skinship that goes on that um, like hmm. they do like dongjip and stuff right like where they poke each other in the butts, and this is kind of I didn't gross- even know that until you told me like I really mean, anyway. <laughs> I was like oh my god that is so Korean that's so funny <laughs> but, um, but that comes up in beef too like with the David. Cho character right mm-hmm. um, the way that they interact physically um, is something that might not be read as masculine to Amer- to other Americans but it's really common in Korea right mm-hmm. um, so um, that was like the biggest thing that struck me about it being very or being Asian American yeah. um, so I, I, don't was know. Thinking I
0: don't know about, if... <laughs> like, what, so one of the things about this production is that it's like quite musical and there's um sort of like i don't know what i associate with like late 80s early to mid 90s like synth hip-hop type stuff happening in it like just homemade yeah. beats type stuff and that yeah. kind of felt maybe like northern california asian american to me or something or maybe it's just um like more of a time-based thing but um hmm. Yeah, that, that sort of play it reminded me a little bit of, like, maybe, like, Asian-American house party DJ culture or something. That, so I, yeah. I found it fascinating how she was picking up, maybe on on pieces of, of the culture, like, historically, but there wasn't anything necessarily Asian-American. The one thing I, that did yeah. strike me, and, um, and this is obviously just from Shakespeare, though, is, like, the fatherly approval and, like, the yelling from the king. So I was thinking yeah. about, like... Um, When the characters are Asian and you kind of know it's an Asian American production and then there's this um, fight between, you know, a daughter and a father about who she should love, like Mm. maybe it like places this new like Asian American trauma level on it where you're like, oh, yeah, this like we've all been in this conversation before. (laughs) (laughs) But I was thinking about that.
1: That's kind of universal. <laughs>
0: but it's universal. Yeah. And then yeah. Shakespeare, like that's right. Why he's like good at what he does. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, but it did, I did. It was like, Oh yeah, that feels so Asian American,
1: but of course it's not. <laughs> but yeah, I think well, the <laughs> music you- thing, um, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but the, but like Gen X Asian-Americans, it doesn't matter what other music you listen to, you all know New Order. Everybody
0: likes New Order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's funny.
1: If you're at some house party like in the 90s, like eventually, like Blue Monday or Bizarre Love, will come on, <laughs> regardless of what other music has been playing. Right. So in that
0: sense, right? it was essentially. Yeah, yeah that's funny. well. <laughs> yeah.
1: The one thing that really, that really struck me about this production, and it has nothing to do with being Asian-American, but it was like how much it showed that they were teenagers right, Right. and that they were just horny teenagers. Yeah. Um, And I've seen lots of productions of Romeo and Juliet, even like the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, like it didn't focus so much on like that. These are teenagers who just want to make out. Right. (laughs) um, that's what maybe i'm seeing that because um my daughters are now 16 and 14 right now that <laughs> we're so
0: much older too yeah
1: exactly yeah and i was like oh my god they're just gross teenagers
0: yeah that's um, true i do think that, yeah the production was was good in that sense because the whole thing felt very like super super playful and juvenile and just like yeah kind of unhinged in that teenage way
1: yeah yeah um,
0: Reminds you what a sort of creepy promise it is. I mean,
1: <laughs> but it actually makes sense because I mean, yes, and that's it. It exactly. does make sense yeah. because yes, they would have these overblown the... reactions to right. whatever. Right. Because teenagers right. are um, neurologically uh, brain damaged adults. <laughs> it <Right>. looks <laughs> <All equip> to <laughs> actually have
0: these emotions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> that they would be this histrionic about something like this totally
0: that was a fun i haven't one seen a shakespeare that adventurous before so yeah.
1: um
0: one last question jenny before you go is there a k drama that you would recommend that you've seen recently
1: mm. um, i've been watching gumiho 1938 um, the uh it's like i haven't heard of it. it what is the nine-tailed fox um and this is a series 2 of of a previous um property uh okay. but it's it's set in the colonial period but then there's some like oh. time slippage and time jumping and I'm very interested in that because um I've been writing about that uh, but okay. it yeah but it really uh, there's that rash of stuff that takes place in the colonial period and it's um it highly aestheticizes it in a way that is pretty new mm-hmm. or like at least in the last 10 years um they uh are showing the kind of like Hip culture of the 1930s, um, in a way that isn't all oppression and liberation fighters. Um, there uh-huh. are, of course, liberation fighters, but I um, Dong Uk, isn't it, and Kim Bum, and they're both pretty to look at. So.
0: Is it on Netflix? Where do you see it? It's on Amazon
1: Prime.
0: Amazon Prime. Okay. Wow. They're in yeah. the K drama game now too. Damn.
1: Okay. Yeah. Everybody um, is. Well, <laughs> Disney Plus is too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's um, fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show for, uh, I think maybe like a record fourth time and for celebrating our three year anniversary with us, Jenny. It's so awesome to talk to you.
1: Congratulations on your (laughs) anniversary. Thank you very much. um, Thank you, listeners, for not being bored with me yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you guys for tuning in. Jay and I will be back together next week. Um, You know where to reach us on Patreon and Substack and Twitter and whatever else. And we really appreciate your supporting the show and subscribing and continuing to be in touch. We'll see you next week.